welcome back to our podcast, To The Point. I'm Cindy Arnson, the director of the Wilson Center's Latin American program, and I'm your host for this episode. My guest today is Luis Felipe Lopez Calva. He is an assistant secretary general of the United Nations, and he's regional director for Latin America and the Caribbean of the United Nations Development Program. We'll be discussing the ways that the COVID-19 pandemic has exacerbated the structural inequalities that already existed in the region. And we'll also talk about how these underlying issues can and are being addressed as the region tries to recover economically from the pandemic's devastating effects. Luis Felipe, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of To The Point. You have written about the state of the vaccination availability campaigns in Latin America and the Caribbean. And you published an article in early February, but there have been many reports since then about the difficulties, the rigidities of Western drug companies in terms of negotiating the sale of vaccines to companies. Um, At the same time, China and Russia uh, have stepped up to fill that gap. How would you characterize the region's access to vaccines now from any source, um, given the huge toll that COVID has taken on the Latin American and Caribbean region? And what does the availability of vaccines suggest about the ability of the region to recover from the pandemic? Thank you, Cindy. Um, I think uh, first uh, I would like to uh, just stress the fact that uh, Latin America has been the region uh, with most affected by the pandemic, both in terms of health and in terms of the economic impact. Just two to, to numbers, uh, Latin America has 9% of the world's population, uh, but has contributed to, to close to 30% of all the deaths due to COVID. And also in terms of economic contraction, Latin America uh, has contracted close to 8%, 7.5%, which is uh, actually the the, the most severe contraction uh, across regions. So given that, vaccines become like a fundamental element in the region if we are going to be able to recover uh, relatively soon. But I think overall, uh, I think the region has still a long way to go. uh, you know, uh, on, on average, I would say that countries have about 2% of, uh, of population uh, vaccinated, uh, whereas, you know, Chile is close to 20%. So, so it's still very strong. You, in your previous role at the World Bank, focused a lot on governance indicators and their relationship to um, sustainable development. And the UNDP recently put out a publication that looks at um, a number of uh, governance indicators for effective governance. Um, what countries do you think are currently in a better position vis-a-vis governance? We've seen, of course, the explosion of corruption scandals around uh, access to the vaccine. Um, and are there aspects of the of the success of some of these countries that others in the region should emulate? Yes, actually, um, uh, what we have um, argued since the beginning, because of the systemic nature of this of this shock, as we have said, it's it's a case where where juncture meets structure. We call it because it's actually uh, you know pre-existing conditions in the countries 
uh, structural conditions that have been exacerbated by the shock. Uh, so in that sense, because of the systemic nature of the shock, we have argued this is, this is a very much a governance crisis uh, because it's, you know, the, the health system, the education system, the fiscal pressure. So in that sense is that we really um, uh, were interested in rethinking uh, how to move into a renewed social contract in the region uh, to the extent that this uh, uh, massive shock can be turned into an opportunity. So we uh, convened uh, close to 100 leaders in the region, including former heads of state, parliamentarians, civil society leaders, and we actually had very uh, intense conversations, discussions uh, uh, with them, and we came up with these uh, uh, principles of, of uh, governance that if we, in a way, if we follow those, uh, we could go towards uh, uh, an inclusion, uh, and uh, more universally uh, uh, accepted uh, system of governance. So it, vaccination is one example of that. Let me tell you three conditions for vaccination. One is access to the vaccines themselves, which means you need fiscal capacity. Second is you need the logistics and the administrative uh, capacity to deploy all these vaccines and to deliver them to the citizens. But the third is, is a soft element, which is you need the trust of the population to actually come vaccinate, uh, follow the protocols, and so on. And I think these three elements are manifestations of, of governance at the end. So that's why we see, I would argue, that a country like Chile has you know, decades of tradition, for example, of a health system that actually uh, works. We have seen many challenges in other countries, not because they don't have the capacity to do it, but also the access to the vaccines has been the first obstacle. And then the lack of transparency, the lack of clear rules has led to a reduction of trust. So people have seen that some people have benefited from these vaccines uh, without, with no clear rules. And that is in detriment of the trust that we need for this uh, process to, to work out. You talked about the internal governance conditions that really would make for effective vaccine distribution inside countries. What more should the international community be doing to make vaccines more broadly available in Latin America and the Caribbean, and perhaps by extension to other developing areas as well? Uh, there are, I, I would say, three ways in which uh, the international community could help. One is uh, making available in some cases in, in which the fiscal space is very limited to actually uh, allow access to resources so so that countries can access the vaccine. But the second is to try to uh, coordinate. You know, the, the, the market is very distorted. Uh, and the question there is, uh, as you know, countries have gone bilaterally to negotiate with the companies uh, and uh, the, the COVAX uh, uh, mechanism has uh, worked very slowly, uh, in part also because uh, the vaccines that have the approval of WHO are only two at this point. So governments are negotiating bilaterally, and that has led to um, uh, a lot of coordination problems that uh, the market is really um, becoming very tight. And some countries have excess uh, number of, of vaccines, but of course, they want to secure 
that their populations are vaccinated. The, the third potential way to address this issue is through a market mechanism that is also complicated but not impossible, which is that the international community could put together a fund and buy the property rights, the intellectual property rights uh, from the companies and make these a public good so countries that have the capacity can produce their own vaccines having access to the to the uh, essential input. And that can be done, but that would have to be basically done, done by creating this fund and buying this intellectual property rights from the company. I'd like to go into a, a slightly different area. Um, as we know, and the UNDP has repeated oftentimes that the pandemic has exacerbated uh, pre-existing inequalities. You talked about the pre-existing conditions. Um, and one of those areas is precisely in digital connectivity. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about um, the digital divide in Latin America, the number of households, the uh, wealthy sectors versus poorer sectors, rural versus urban, who have access to internet, and how that has obviously impacted the ability of children to access education during this year of lockdown? Certainly, and I think the, the digital divide, the digital gaps, in a way, are a very good uh, summary indicator of many other inequalities uh, that uh, uh, unfortunately coexist in, in our societies. So just to give you some numbers, on average, three out of every 10 uh, persons in Latin America have access, uh, don't have access to internet. So uh, if the coverage is on average about 70%, but if you put them by income level, the, the, the 20% of the richest have coverage above 80% or even 90%, and the poorest have a coverage of 30, 35%. So that means that the, this can, uh, for example, that implies for, that you, are, uh, uh, you don't have access to, to uh, digital finance, so it affects financial inclusion, but it has certainly affected human capital accumulation, education. In this case, as we know, uh, schools have to uh, now deliver the service online. So you can imagine the effect this is having on educational inequality, and, and that has a huge impact in the capacity of the poor people to generate income in the future. According to World Bank uh, estimates, uh, the loss for the region in terms of human capital shock, and of course this is concentrated in the poorest groups of the population, uh, is about $1.2 trillion, which is a little bit less than the economy of Mexico. So you can imagine Latin America losing the size of one Mexican economy in terms of future productivity because of the digital uh, 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 divide and the stopping of the education system with a huge inequality uh, impact involved in that process. So that, that's why I think addressing the digital gap is fundamental to address many other inequalities, but as we have argued in a recent, in a recent article with Angel Melviso from AT&T, the idea is not only uh, uh, do it by investing in the infrastructure, but also trying to adapt the education system to that different way of delivering the learning, but also regulating better the, the, the markets, because otherwise what you are gonna do is also generate huge rents for certain firms, and you have to regulate smartly so you can uh, provide access to the markets 
reasonable rents uh, to the firms that invest, but also universal coverage for all the population. Clearly, those are things that require resources. And one of the questions that I have, given um, the debt to GDP ratios, the the level of economic contraction during the pandemic, the slow recovery, the number of uh, new people thrown into poverty, where should governments really be focusing the limited fiscal resources that they have, given all of the gaps, educational and the healthcare system, uh, in infrastructure for uh, communications and, and internet access, what would be a series of really smart investments that governments could make with relatively limited resources? That's a very good point. And actually, the, the access to resources is going to be key. We have estimated that countries will need about $228 billion dollars just to maintain the COVID response, uh, the extra spending for COVID response. And the markets uh, collected, um, I mean, the, the, the countries collected uh, through the market by issuing debt uh, last year around uh, $56 billion. So there's a huge gap in terms of financing. So given that scarcity of resources, I would argue that infrastructure, particularly on digital, uh, is a fundamentally uh, uh, important uh, investment. And I think that will have a very high social return also in terms of the reduction of inequalities. And the other is in uh, green engines of growth, clean energies, uh, sustainable livelihoods in small communities in rural areas. I think if we look at uh, green engines of growth and infrastructure, particularly that on, on digital, uh, those are two areas that we as UNDP are emphasizing. The other two, which require more of a regulatory intervention, is uh, social protection systems. Uh, trying to uh, using this as an opportunity to have more universally fiscally sustainable and also growth friendly social protection systems. So this is an opportunity to rethink about these these systems. And the final is strengthening governance, basically opening a space for more uh, uh, participation of citizens and rebuilding trust. So these four pillars, in our view, are key for a uh, uh, sustained and more inclusive and cohesive as we Luis Felipe, surely a, a very broad, ambitious, and important agenda for the region. Um, thank you for all you're doing at the UNDP uh, to help Latin America and the Caribbean recover and do it in a way that provides for long-term sustainability, social inclusion, and growth. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you very much, Cindy, for this invitation. This episode of To The Point was produced and edited by Oscar Cruz. For more on this subject, visit our website, www.wilsoncenter.org LAP. Thanks for listening.